Hello and welcome to the first 2012 edition of the Unreported World podcast with me, Krishnan Gurumurthy. This week, reporter Aidan Hartley and director Daniel Bogardo gained rare access to Sudan's Nuba Mountains. In the South Kordofan oil fields upriver from Khartoum is a troubled part of Sudan where a civil war has continued since the 1980s. Here they met the heroic doctors and the children they are fighting to save from one of the world's most brutal dictatorships, the cause for which George Clooney was arrested in March 2012. We headed into the war zone of Sudan's Nuba Mountains. Our guides were rebels of the Sudan People's Liberation Army, fighting to keep this road open, a lifeline from Sudan's southern frontier. This is the only route into the rebel-held areas, which are almost completely surrounded by government forces. Khartoum has banned entry for all journalists and aid workers to find out what's happening to the civilian population. The Nuba say this latest fighting started after Sudan's government rigged local elections in June last year. When the Nuba rejected the results, the Khartoum government went on the attack. Rebel territory is now under constant bombardment. Sudanese government jets flew overhead. The jets fired rockets at a target nearby. I don't know whether they're going to come back, but they were very, very close. Just move and find a place. The Nuba live in the southern state of South Kordofan. The rebels control around 4,000 square kilometres, home to over a million Nuba. Government forces surround this rebel territory and have air superiority. We were taken to one of the front lines. General Suleiman Jabon said his forces were winning in battle, but that the government military was attacking civilians. These people are bombarding our civilians. They're killing women, children and older people. They are not targeting our barracks. They are continuing to commit genocide. The Sudan government's stated aim is to impose Islam and the Arabic language on the Nuba, who are black Africans, many of them Christians. Sudanese President Omar al-Bashir has warned that in his Sudan, there will be no diversity of culture or ethnicity. This policy of intolerance already led to the deaths of countless thousands of Nuba in an earlier 20-year civil war. We entered the deserted village of Tabanya. Completely abandoned, no one home. Whilst fighting raged on the front lines, the government were also conducting daily airstrikes in civilian areas. 
That was a bomb. More bombs. The bomber planes known as Antonovs came closer. This Antonov is now flying over us. Nearby, a family took cover in a foxhole. The rebels told us we had to keep moving. Bombardments are one of the main reasons why 350,000 civilians have fled their homes. We arrived at a mountain called Tungule. We'd heard many thousands had taken refuge here. We'd arranged to meet Dr. Alamine Osman, the only qualified Sudanese doctor for the million people living in rebel areas. As we climbed, he showed me crowds of people among the rocks. All these are the caves where people All these are the caves where people are actually living. The doctor told me civilians fled here to escape fighting and air raids. This one is a uh, is, uh, very... Well this one is a very protective measure if the Antonov comes. The children, they can easily hide themselves here. Even the adults can also hide themselves here. In this cave, we met Hanadi Terakuki. She said she and her children had lived here for four months. Her husband was away fighting, and they were barely surviving. Since we came to the caves, we've only had leaves to eat. We are going hungry. An Antonov hunting for targets interrupted us. Hanadi's kids scurried for cover. They've jammed themselves into a very narrow cleft between two massive boulders to get away from the explosions. After the danger had passed, I spoke to Lucia, Hanadi's 12-year-old daughter. Why do they run into the cave? Because of the aeroplanes. Have you heard any explosions? Yes. Assalamu alaikum. In another cave, we met Mansour Noor. Dr. Alamin, you have surprised us. Greetings. He and his family had fled here after their village became a battlefront. The mouth of this cave was now their home, a refuge from air raids. They got their bedding down there and a bit of uh, shelter material. Mansour said bombers flew over daily. When they spotted targets outside the caves, they attacked. Some people near here were sitting under a tree. The Antonov came from the south and photographed them. This was on a Sunday. It flew all the way to the church, saw the crowd, then came back. It dropped 11 bombs on them. Mansour and his wife Fatima are smallholder farmers. Some farmers have fled advancing troops. Aerial bombardment has driven others from their land. The result is the same. Almost no land is being cultivated. And now Mansour's eight children are going hungry. Yusuf, hey! 
Hey Yusuf, bring water in the bucket and also a cup. Mansour and Fatima invited us to stay the night. Mansour had begged the equivalent of 55 pence from friends to pay for food. He'd managed to buy some grain, cheap, because it was contaminated by petrol. Over the meagre meal, Mansour told me about the government's violent tactics, tactics that have already been used in Darfur. Sudan's president Bashir is wanted in The Hague for war crimes in Darfur, but he's never been arrested. It was impossible for us to stay with the Arabs. The government sent the army and militia to loot everything. All my belongings were looted. Even my house was burned down. I left only with the clothes on my back. And what has life been like living here in the caves? In the cave, we are scared of insects, so we light a fire to chase them out. A cave is a cave. It's me who must get used to it. We prepared to sleep at the mouth of the cave. When the children sleep, I must stay awake in case something happens. If the Antonov comes, then I wake them up. It's the most extraordinary situation for civilians to live in. You've got families living here all along the base of the mountain. They're quite clearly all in terror. Next morning, the children brought water from a nearby borehole. They attempted to maintain a normal daily routine, but Mansour woke up wondering where the family's next meal would come from. Today, I will go to the forest to collect wild fruits. Will that be enough to feed your family today? It won't be enough, but what can I do? Mansour left to go foraging, while we walked with his daughters to another part of the mountainside. The people here have had their entire lives disrupted by this war, and they've tried to reconstitute some sort of normal routine here in the refugee camp that they've created at the base of the mountain. They've even got schools, and we're on our way to school with Mansour's children at the moment. The school held its morning assembly. There were no classrooms here. The kids take their lessons under the acacia trees. Although we are facing very many problems and we are still able to carry on, we wish the conditions to get better in the future. This is our land. We love our land, New Sudan. The children had spotted an Antonov bomber. These are amazing scenes. They say that when the Antonov sees large groups of people, then it circles over and comes back to attack. But these are children. 
So this is what the children of the Nuba Mountains have to deal with under Khartoum's blitz. Almost every day they have to run for shelter and amongst the rocks. Today it was at assembly. I spoke to the head teacher, Boutros Atom. When they stay inside the caves, there is no water to drink, and sometimes there are snakes inside the caves. Has this area been bombed? Yeah. Yeah, several times. Right, so the danger is very real. Yes, it is, exactly. Okay, well, I hope that you can keep your children safe. Yeah, with this, when the plane comes, we make them to run to the caves. When the plane comes, we make them run to the caves to save their lives. We joined Dr. Alamine again to visit one of his clinics. He said the government had stopped UN supplies to rebel areas of medicines and vaccines, vital for saving malnourished kids. What's the problem here, doctor, with this little girl? She's suffering from malnutrition. She is suffering from malnutrition. Food. She can recover. If she gets food, she can recover. But the problem now is how can we secure food? Rimaz was three years old. Her mother Zainab said she was worried Rimaz's health was deteriorating. She has been sick for five or six months. Sick with what? She has diarrhea and fever at night. Do you have any food? Where can I get food? There is no food. Give her this food morning and night. I will try to get you some more in the future. How many more of these have you got on you? I have very little. I have very little. Seven, actually. It is like seven, actually, of these. Unfortunately, I can see that other children. Unfortunately, I can see other children outside waiting. When they hear that I'm here, they're hoping that I have something for them. Hunger-related diseases had already killed 25 children in this area. The UN says 200,000 face famine in Nuba. People, you can go home and we will try to send you some biscuits for the children. But the important thing is to take care of your child's cleanliness. Most of these kids are in the early stages of malnutrition. The world knows what's going on in the Nuba Mountains, but Khartoum has denied access for aid agencies to come to help to feed kids like this. And what's going to happen as a result of that in the next few months is that these kids could die of starvation. President Bashir's publicly stated aim is to create a famine in Nuba Mountains. We will force them back into the mountains and starve them, Bashir warned last year. In 2012, his plan is working. Sudan's government denies targeting civilians in its bombing runs. We were about to discover further evidence that this is not true. Here, the rebels showed us a government spy plane they had just captured hours earlier. So this is a pilotless drone. 
And today, the guerrilla forces say that they were able to shoot this drone down. This comes at first and takes the GPS. GPS technology by the satellite. And he returns back to attack the area. The UN has imposed an arms embargo against Sudan because of its attacks on civilians. But inside the cockpit, we found components that appeared to have been originally manufactured by companies from Iran and Ireland. This is the memory card. This is the memory card from here? Yes. Okay. What they say is that it's been coming back here for three weeks every day, and all of the data has been recorded here. When we played back the drone's video, it displayed the GPS coordinates, time and date. It revealed the drone took off from the government garrison of Kudugli, from where it was then remote controlled. This film records the drone's flight over civilian villages minutes before an Antonov bombing run that we ourselves witnessed. In this footage, rebel anti-aircraft fire hits the drone, which crashes and is disabled by the rebels. We wanted to see the impact of air raids on civilians. We visited the only hospital in rebel territory at Gidel. We've come to the Mother of Mercy Catholic Hospital outside Cauda. This is the only place where people who live in the rebel-held territories can get serious illness treated or have operations. Dr. Tom Katenya is an American missionary. He's the only qualified surgeon in Nuba Mountains. So far, he's operated on more than 700 severe war casualties. So this child was injured in an Antonov bombing yesterday? Yeah, we amputated both arms. So both arms are amputated. What's his name? He's Daniel. He's 14 years old. Daniel was too traumatized to talk. Instead, we spoke to his uncle, Isa Kuku, who's been looking after Daniel since he was a baby. Isa, can you explain what happened to Daniel, that he should have suffered such terrible injuries? Daniel went out with the cattle. The Antonov came and dropped a bomb on him. He tried to lie down like this, but before he could get down properly, the bomb exploded and shrapnel cut off both his arms. When he recovers, what are you going to do when you go home? Daniel can't do much now, so I will take care of him. We followed the doctor on his rounds, and in every ward we saw horrific bombing injuries. Are most of the Antonov bombing victims civilian or combatants? Oh boy, I'd say about 80% probably. Probably 80 are civilian, 20 are, are soldiers. When fighting erupted, most staff evacuated because of the danger. But Dr. Katenya has been so busy, he hasn't left the hospital once since the war started. I asked why he risked staying. 
I guess the way I see it is if, uh, you know, there's not another option. You know, what's, what are your options? You, you leave and abandon everybody here, or you stay and you keep, keep going ahead. That's the only option. Working under him are a handful of Catholic sisters as well as volunteers who have no formal training as nurses, who are learning on their feet in terrible conditions. All right, keep on the same dose. He's on 10 of diazepam and 50 okay? One of the nurses, Ratiba Ibrahim, told me what drove her to stay. I prefer to serve my people rather than to have money and to... to live I prefer to serve my people rather than to have money and to abandon our people. Our innocent children, our innocent sick brothers and sisters. I'm getting little, but I enjoy serving in the hospital. Many of the patients are mentally as well as physically traumatised. In the women's ward, we found teenage mother, Alawiya Kafi, one of the most tragic victims here. Alia, what happened to you? Can you tell us the story? When the Anatov came, it circled the area, so he went to the riverbed and lay down. Then it dropped bombs on us. One explosion ripped off her right arm, but that was not all she lost. My mother died. So did two of my sisters. My baby was also killed. He was hit here and died. People come in daily with bomb injuries. The latest casualty was 11-year-old Sabir. His father, Abdu, tried to comfort him. Don't cry, don't cry. It is nearly finished. Bomb shrapnel had ripped off Sabir's nose and half his face. Dr. Katenya had saved him from dying, but he will be disfigured for life. Khartoum is the reason why we are killed. We are poor people and they hit us with airplanes, tanks and everything. The main reason for this is Khartoum. Sister Angelina Nyakuru is a Catholic nun who runs the hospital, built for 80 beds but now with 500 inpatients and a growing refugee camp outside. Food is running out. We have patients to feed, they have nowhere to go. They come to beg us food. So we don't know what to do. And we don't know how this situation is getting worse and worse. In only a few weeks, the onset of rains will cut Nuba's only road to the outside world. Without an end to government air raids and urgent international action to prevent this politically generated famine, it will be too late for many in the Nuba mountains. Is there nobody there who can see the cry, the tears of these number of people? Is there nobody who can speak on their behalf to say, stop, people have died enough? So I ask myself, where are the powerful nations? Where is the international community? Where is the, the UN Security Council? Can they do something to stop this Antonov from coming to kill people, destroying people like this? Where are they? Our thanks to Aidan Hartley. 
Don't forget to visit the website channel4.com slash unreportedworld for information on the issues and to discover the internationally available Unreported World programme archive. Or search for and join Unreported World on Facebook and Twitter, where alongside regular updates, you'll also find like minds. Next week, I'll be reporting from Iraq on the inside story of the Baghdad bomb squad. Until then, from me, Krishnan Gurumurthy, goodbye. Goodbye.